Hello, welcome to the next in a series of studies in John's Gospel. I don't know whether unsnatchable is a real word. If I've made it up, apologies. It's the title of this session. It comes from John 10, where Jesus says that no one can snatch his followers out of his hand. And I want to take a bit of a deep dive into this passage and try and understand what it is that that might mean and the implications for us. To do that, I have a number of questions that I'm going to fly through. Firstly, what is being in the hand of God? What does that mean? Secondly, how do we get into the hand of God? How can we uh, find ourselves in that place? Thirdly, what might try to snatch us from his hand. Fourthly, what about Hebrews 6? Now, if you don't know what Hebrews 6 is, don't worry, we'll get there. Uh, but a lot of people who look at this verse say, what about Hebrews 6? And then uh, fifthly, why can nothing snatch us out of his hand? And lastly, can a disciple do whatever they want. So that's the agenda. We're going to look at that as we look at this passage. The context is John 10. He's talking about the good shepherd who has laid down his life for the sheep. And in our last session, he talked about being the Messiah and that the, his actions prove who he was and that they were to judge him by his actions more than his words. And we asked the question last time, why act works and not words? And what does that mean for us? And uh, so as we go into this next passage, we come up, pick it up at John uh, 10 and verse 28. I gave them eternal life. That's meaning his sheep. I gave them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, if you're familiar with my talks, you'll know that there's now a repetition. So that means this is an important point and worthy of us giving it a little bit of attention. Because in 29, he says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now, he's not saying there are two hands, one of Jesus and one of the Father. He's saying I and the Father are one. We'll come to that in our next session. But firstly, let's draw ourselves just one little point of, of uh, importance to underline. What is this eternal life that he is giving to those who follow him? Well, it is the life of eternity. It's the life that's going to be lived now and throughout eternity. And there are times where people just say it's all about the quality of life. It's living the kingdom of God life. Well, that is an element of it. But fundamentally in this passage, he says, because he tells us, it's about eternal life. It's about not perishing. That Jesus is giving a life after death. And that instead of there being destruction of those who die, there can be an eternal life. Note that it is perishing and not being tortured. If you want to know more detail on that, you can go and look at this, the discussion that we had around John 3 and 16 much earlier in our session. But time and again, Jesus and the New Testament talk about destruction and perishing rather than torture. And as I said, this part of the last verse, verse 30, I and the Father are one, we'll come back to next time. So let's look at unsnatchable and those questions. What does it mean to be in the hand of God? How do we get into the hand of God? What might try to snatch us from his hand? What about Hebrews 6? What can, why can nothing snatch us out of his hand? And can a disciple do whatever they want? So what is being in the hand of God? 
Well, I think it is firstly being the object of God's care and affection. It's being very much in the center of his love. It's a, a metaphor, a, a picture of value that as we are resting, nestling, living in the hand of God, it's a place where we are beloved. It's a place of being called and equipped to serve, of being in the very center of his will for our lives, of being where he intended and created us to be. And secondly, it is as we're in that place of love and care and calling that we are then strengthened through and delivered from suffering. It's not that nothing ever goes wrong. When we're in the hand of God, it's not that nothing can attack us. It's that, that the, there is a sense of uh, protection ultimately. And then we're strengthened and guided through the storm. We go through the storm, but it doesn't overwhelm us. We go through the fire, but we are not burnt. We go through the floods, but we are not swept away. And lastly, and the most probably the most significant part of it is that thing that we've just looked at, that it is having the destiny of eternal life. The being in the hand of God means that when we die, we will be resurrected and pass from death to life and go to an eternal life that we will not perish after death which obviously is fantastic. I know there are people who say, well, I don't want to live forever. They don't want to live forever in this kind of world, and neither would I. But the point of eternal life is that it's a glorious living where there is all the beauty and power and majesty of creation and all the harmony and beauty of perfect relationships that God intended without suffering, without decay, without illness, without mental illness, without uh, anything robbing us of joy. It's a glorious place and thing to have. So how do we get into the hand of God? If you know uh, my talks, you know that I talk about an ABC. And just a reminder, because it's really important. If, if, if being in the hand of God is so significant, we need to make sure that we know how to get into the hand of God. Well, the first thing is we have to accept the invitation. In other words, God knocks on our heart and calls us and invites us to be in his care, to follow him, to be a disciple, to choose him as our Lord and Savior. And the first step is to A, admit, to admit that we need him, to admit that in our own life, we cannot attain eternal life, that we don't deserve to be in heaven, that if heaven is a place of perfection, where there is love and harmony and selflessness, that we don't match up. And that we can't go there in our own ability and under our own power because we're simply not good enough that we would make it as negative as this, as this world is now. So the first element of placing ourselves in the hand of God is to hear his invitation and confess and admit. And secondly, to believe that Jesus died on the cross for us in our place. He dies the death that we should die. And he does that because he loves us. And that is significant because he is our Lord. He is God. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So we admit and we believe in the love of God for us that calls us to kneel before the cross. And the third uh, thing is, uh, let us see, is we choose to ask him into our life. We say, Jesus, come and be in me. 
Come and fill me. Come and forgive me. I want to be your follower. And we choose then as a follower to seek to behave like Jesus. And this is an important part for what we're going to talk about in a few moments. That a disciple isn't someone who simply says sorry because they know that's what gets them into heaven. That in itself is inadequate. They say sorry because they want to be different because they want to live the life of the kingdom of heaven. They want to live the life that they're going to live in heaven. They want to live that life now. So they are choosing to behave like Jesus. And our third C is to commit. To commit ourselves to fellowship, to study, to prayer, to the reading of Bible, to worship. And our last C, A, B, C, D, is to declare to declare our faith in Jesus, to let others know that we love Jesus and to uh, declare that in baptism in a public declaration of faith. And it's important to understand that we cannot be in the hand of God simply by being a human being or being born into Britain. We have to admit. And if we don't admit that we are sinful, we don't admit that we need forgiveness, we are not in the hand of Jesus. And if we don't believe in his love and the power and effect and, and necessity of the cross, then we are not in the hand of God. And if we don't choose to ask him to fill us with his love and spirit, then we are not in the hand of God. And if we do not choose to follow the command to love our neighbor as we love ourselves and to love others as Jesus has loved us, then we are not in the hand of God. Maybe it's right just to take a moment to say, okay, I nail my colors to the mask. I'm choosing these things. I admit that I need Jesus. I believe in his love and I choose to ask him because I want to live a different life. So our third question is, what might try to snatch us from God's hand? I think that in... Jesus' mind principally in this idea is these wolves that uh, devour the sheep earlier in the chapter. And we understand that to be Satan. And Satan uh, principally seeks to snatch, I think, through accusation. So he accuses Christians. That's part of what the name uh, of the devil is, the accuser. He accuses those who, who have uh, uh, um, in some shape or form drifted from God. And they will have drifted from God because of a number of reasons. And Satan would say, well, they can't be in heaven. They shouldn't be in heaven. It may be because of temptations given into. And we feel we don't deserve eternal life because we haven't yet managed to get past the particular sin and something that besets us, something that we continually do. And Satan would say, you're not a proper Christian. And Jesus would say, no. Nothing can snatch you out of my hand. You see, once we ask Jesus to take hold of us, he takes hold of us. He pays for us with his blood. We are bought for a price and he does not give up on us, even though we may waver and give in and fail again and again. And we see that in the way Jesus reacts with the disciples, in particular Peter, the way Peter gives in to temptation, but Jesus continually holds him. It may be that Satan accuses us because of wrong turns and we made big decisions in life that have taken us far away from perhaps what we think God intended us to do with our life and we find ourselves in a broken place. 
And the accuser says, you've failed. You've lost your place in heaven. And Jesus says, nothing can snatch you out of my hand. And even the huge life-changing mistakes cannot take us away from that place of salvation. It may be that we are accused uh, and feel guilt of things that we haven't owned up to. And sometimes people live through a fear that perhaps they might die in that moment that they haven't confessed the sin. But the good news is that nothing can snatch us out of his hands. And even unconfessed sin, the moment we invite Jesus to take our sins on the cross, it affects the past, the present, and the future. And even though there may be times and things I forget, and maybe at the end of my life there are things I haven't resolved with God, because he has taken us into his hand, nothing can snatch us out. Not even the hurt that other Christians have caused us that may cause us to fall away from church and to drift away. And this may be particularly important for those of us who worry about friends or family who once were following Jesus acutely and keenly and passionately and now have fallen away. And it may be because the way the church has, has dealt with them, maybe the way other Christians have behaved, but that cannot snatch us out of the place of love's God's care and love and eternal life. It may be that we drift away through anger with God because prayers haven't been answered, because God hasn't done what we really needed and wanted him to do. And disillusionment and disappointment and bitterness has crept in and crowded out and we no longer feel able to worship God or, or necessarily feel that we wonder whether we even believe in him. But nothing can snatch us out of that place of receiving eternal life. It may be that we forget God with the busyness of life and other temptations that crowd in and, and money and career and family and all kinds of things and it just drifts slowly away. But nothing can snatch us. It may be that we uh, doubt and there are things that uh, we are presented with that cause real questions. And all of these things are things that may be part of our future. When we decide to follow Jesus, when we invite him into our life, when we admit our sin before him, these things are all things that are going to come. They're all things that Satan is going to bring. And it may be that we fear, well, what if I can't hold on? What if I don't manage to stay there? And Jesus says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Our eternal destiny is secure in Jesus. It's not dependent on our good behavior at the last few moments of our life. It's not dependent on our consistency. It's not dependent on us making sure that we do everything right. It's dependent on the cross and his love for us and that moment of transaction where we say, Jesus, here's my life. Now, some of you who are well-read will say, well, what about Hebrews 6, 1 to 6? There are lots of times when the Bible offers a different perspective that comes in tension. Some may call it a contradiction. I, I think it's one of these times when we have to hold two things in balance. And this is a little bit complicated, uh, so I'm just going to fly through it very quickly. But when we read Hebrews 6, we come across these words. And I would like you, if you're interested in the subject, to look at the whole of 1 to 6, because the context is really important. 
But if just for the moment, it says it is impossible, the writer of the Hebrew says, it is possible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance, because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again. Now, the key to bringing the harmony between this and Jesus' words is to understand what is meant by falling away. And trying to bring harmony between scriptures is important because the writers of the Hebrews knew what Jesus had taught and said. And so what he means has to harmonize with what Jesus means. And so we need to make sure we understand that. So the whole of the book of of Hebrews teaches a number of things, but for this point, there are some big themes that are important for us to understand. It teaches is the supremacy of the death of Jesus for forgiveness. It's particularly, you get the title, it it clues in the title of the book. It's the book, the letter to the Hebrews. It is a letter um, to those of the uh, uh, Judah, to the people of uh, Old Testament faith. And it's saying that the Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. That's the really key point that we need to understand, that Jesus' death on the cross was the full and perfect sacrifice of sin and that that is received by repentance. And that's very much part of Hebrews 6, that this work of Jesus on the cross is received by repentance. But the book is warning the Hebrews not to go back to the sacrificial system not to choose another method of dealing with their sin. So Hebrews is not dealing with people who don't feel they're sinful. It's people uh, who know they're sinful but are tempted into thinking that Jesus isn't the solution to their sins. And that's the key to understanding what falling away means in my mind. In other words, falling away was choosing an alternative religious method of getting to heaven. Now that's very different from the things we just talked about earlier. That's very different from drifting away or anger with God or giving into temptation or doubts. It is a coherent and deliberate decision to accept another religion as the way to deal with our unworthiness for heaven. 99.9% of those who give up on practicing as a Christian are not giving up because they have found a better faith. They're giving up because they have all kind of other things have gone wrong. And what Hebrews warns against is swapping religion. And he says that if we do this, we will not repent. Now, the really key thing to remember here is that if we think we've done that and we're repenting of it, A, we haven't done it, and B, our repentance will save us. Repentance always saves. What Hebrews is saying is don't contemplate this because you will so harden your heart that you won't wish to repent. Charles Stanley says this, we did nothing to motivate God to save us. His motivation was intrinsic. It came from within his nature. He saw our plight and felt compassion for us. And anyone who has stopped along the road to pick up a stray dog or move a fallen bird's nest to a safe place has a limited, mirrored, uh, in a limited way, mirrored the compassion expressed, expressed by God in salvation. And that's what we need to hold on to because ultimately, why can nothing snatch us out of his hand? Because Jesus has invested the cross. 
And the extreme position of Hebrews is so rare and not something for us to particularly worry about. What we need to be concerned with is that Jesus has gone to the cross for us. And there is a massive investment in the cross. And he's not looking to minimize that investment. He's not looking for ways in which to get less people into heaven. And I, I worry about those Uh, streams of Christianity that seem to imply that. That as if Jesus is somehow pleased to have just a few people. The death on the cross and the whole of the incarnation is a painful and uh, dramatic intervention of God. And he has paid a price. He has bought us. And he doesn't give up that that, uh, possession easily. He doesn't just say, oh, I've given one chance and that's enough. Jesus implies, uh, as a hyperbole, he says seven times 77. In other words, endless times of forgiveness. How do I know that I cannot be snatched out of the hand of Jesus? How do I know that his death on the cross can't be taken from me? How do I know that I can't lose my place in heaven? Because he has gone to all that effort to win me. He is dying to save us. And he seals us with his spirit. And the consequence of the sealing with the spirit is that there is a constant knocking uh, when we drift away. A constant nagging. A constant yearning. And we will know people that have given up they think their faith and have drifted away. But I'm convinced that they will have within them a nagging and a yearning and a call of the spirit within them which will not leave that's saying, come back to me. And it is clear from the way the New Testament speaks that that is a guarantee that we will receive the inheritance of those who trust their sins on the cross to Jesus. Leon Morris in his commentary says this, our continuance in eternal life depends not on our feeble hold on Christ, but on his firm grip on us. So can a disciple do whatever they want? If we're in his hands, can we now live a sinful, dirty, un-Christ-like life because nothing can snatch it away? Well, we just need to remind ourselves that we first had to be in his hands. In other words, we first had to admit that we needed that. And if we truly admit that we're sinful, we don't want to carry on being sinful. And if we truly believe that God loves us, we don't want to hurt him. And if we truly ask God into our lives, then his spirit never leaves us. And if we truly want to behave, then we don't the next day get up and say, I don't want to live for Jesus anymore. So there will be many, perhaps, who at different points in their life drift away, who've lived for Jesus, who really believed it, who perhaps professed it in baptism, who were committed for a time, for a season, for months, for years. And then for whatever reason, Drift away. And Jesus says, they cannot be taken out of his hand. And the gift that he has given them 
eternal life that they shall not perish, cannot be lost. And that's an encouragement for us, which leads us to our question for reflection. Does the commitment of Jesus to never let us go encourage and inspire us? How does that happen? That Jesus says, come and respond to my call, my invitation, my knocking, and you will be in my hand and I will never let you go. And even though you fail and even though you are fickle and even though you become uh, rebellious, I will never let you go. But come now and place yourself in my hands. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love us and call us to be your disciples. And for those of us who haven't yet clearly placed ourselves in your hands, we do that. We admit that we're sinful. We believe that the cross is the demonstration of your love and salvation. And we choose to ask you to come into our life. We choose to copy and live for you. We choose to commit ourselves to the disciplines of faith. We choose to declare to others that we love you. And we thank you that now that we're in your hands, you will never, never let us go. And we are safe. And our destiny is secure. And our eternal future is assured. Help us to live in that light with confidence in your love, without fear of death, and without listening to the accuser. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.